Culture eats strategy for lunch, and informed cultures drive decisions and inspire action. At the Data Culture Podcast, we talk with execs, visionaries, and data experts so that you may move from idea to outcome in your own data culture journey. Welcome to the Data Culture Podcast. My name is Sid Atkinson, data culture innovator and consulting leader with over 21 years in data. And I'm Lee Harper, AI human with a decade doing AI stuff. And today we're joined by Colm Lund. Colm is CEO of Coachem. His background is geared around the intersection of education and sales leadership. He's been co-founder of multiple companies that have been at the forefront of helping train and both via process and technology, top sales performers. Most recently, before Coachem, he was a CRO of Sandler Training. Welcome, Colm. Thank you. So, Colm, you've been doing this stuff for a long time, looking at data, looking at sales, and really trying to you know, bridge the gap between those two things. And when we were talking, you had some really interesting stories to tell. So I'm excited people to share with us today. What kind of led to the genesis of what coaching is today, this idea of looking at root cause analysis and trying to marry that up to sales, a, a field that traditionally hadn't necessarily been at the forefront of data-driven methodologies? Sure. When I look back on it, Lee, it's different experiences over my career that led to this particular idea. But one of the early tells for me was when we got called to a, a very large, well-known uh, company and the person that reached out to us ran sales enablement. And they have literally hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of salespeople. And in this particular division, they were struggling with conversion. And I always like to say that in sales, it's very simple. It's not easy, but it's fairly simple. It is formulaic. And we all can envision a pipeline, that image of a certain amount of deals that go into the top of the funnel or the top of the pipeline. And through a process of qualification or disqualification, far fewer pop out the other end as closed one. So it's really a function of two things in sales. When I say it's simple, I am a bit of a simpleton, so that's how I look at the world, but it's either uh, if someone's struggling in terms of their quota attainment or hitting their goals, it's either A, they don't have enough in the pipeline or B, they have enough, but they're not converting. And then it's incumbent upon the sales leader to hone in on where they're struggling. So in this particular case, we got called in, myself and a colleague, and they said, we've been struggling with our conversion our um, win rates have been dropping and we've narrowed it down to a particular phase in our sales pipeline. And that, that particular phase of this client was the discovery to demo phase. So in sales, as you can imagine, there's a step, which could be one call, it could be multiple calls, but it's a phase or stage where the salesperson is responsible for uncovering as much information as they can in terms of the client's pain and challenge. What's that business problem that they're struggling with? How is it impacting the business? What, quantifying the, the, the problem to an extent. Do they have budget? What's the decision-making process? All that good stuff, right? So salespeople are supposed to quote unquote discover that, but it's really also a mutual discovery because the prospect in this case is trying to ask lots of questions to the salesperson. The 
next step in the typical sales process from there is they would show a demo. And ideally that demo is tailored to address the pain points that they heard in this previous phase. So their client was struggling. They traced it back to that phase where there was a, a major drop-off in conversion from one state to the other. So we came in and the first thing we asked to do was to listen to calls. And this company said, we'll do one better. We will give you the call recordings and the analytics from the calls in that stage. And it turns out they were early adopters, very early adopters of a technology called Gong, which is conversational intelligence platform. They basically grab the transcripts, run all sorts of analysis on it. And they can tell things like how much has the rep talked versus the prospect, how many questions were asked by each side, patient scores, all that good stuff. And what we've found out through this process, Lee, was um, it was clear from the report that they produced that the reps were talking way too much. 68.7% is what I remember off the top of my head, how much they were talking in that phase. And if you really think about it, that's the phase where they should be listening, not talking. So where we found our root cause issue is when we actually listened to those calls and we discovered that it wasn't a one issue across the board. It was different issues for different reps that we had to address. And when we did that, then we used data to track the application of the advice or recommendations and training that we gave them. Uh, and then we continued to monitor that. So did that talk ratio change first and foremost? Uh, did that have an effect on the conversion rate from discovery to demo? And ultimately did that move the needle when it comes to close one deal? So, so really that was the genesis of the idea was looking at uh, working on the right end of, pro of the problem, treating the underlying uh, disease, if you will, and not the symptom. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It, it, Colin, I have a question about the genesis of Coachem then and what you see now as the opportunity that might not have existed a while back. Because I think just one qualifying statement, we have for time immemorial actually measured sales, but what's been missing and been harder over the last is being more human and coaching people and then responding to what the folks need. Like most companies know what their sales numbers are and their quotas, but what they're always missing is what you were getting into it to easily dig into why isn't that conversion happening and why is this sales rep struggling or our sales process not adequate? So what have, what have you seen change in like platforms like Gong and what you're now able to do with Coachem that just wasn't possible or easy to do 15 years ago? That's a good question. Said so number one, this technology came on the scene at the perfect time because one thing that people could do prior to the pandemic was mm -hmm. listen actively on calls. So when I grew up in sales and leading sales teams, we had rows of sales reps with their headsets on and we'd have a yep. splitter on the desk and we'd go from one rep to the other and push our chair over and then just listen in and we debrief after the call and you could overhear things, right? They could overhear each other. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden you have everyone working remotely. And so that's a, that was a massive shift at the same time, the last 10, 15 years, we've seen a massive, uh, decline in any type of manager training. So you have this sort of two issues. One is 
managers aren't getting trained. And two, they don't have access to actually hear what the heck's going on. And now these poor reps are working out of their own homes. They can't even hear each other. So mm. the advent of this technology has always been called recording. It's been called recording for a long time. But the, mm -hmm. the analysis of this down to keywords and phrases has been invaluable. The challenge and the reason why we started Coachup is because these managers have so little time to pour through the calls like we did in that example I gave you. Mm -hmm. And even if they did have the time to listen to all these calls and analyze the, the transcripts of what was said and how it was said, many of them don't know how to diagnose the, the issue. And then even if they didn't know how to do that, they had the time and they had the know-how to diagnose issue. There's knowing what the exact remedy is for that situation and holding the reps accountable. So the, the, the four elements that I mentioned there, analyzing, um, diagnosing, prescribing, and holding accountable um, is, are, are the four elements necessary to help change the behavior of, the, of these sales reps. I think it's a long way to the answer, but the advent of this analysis of call recording, the proliferation of this technology uh, has really been a boon if you know how to do those things I mentioned. And one of the things that's interesting about that <clears throat> is there's a technology, there's also very much a, a process element here as well. The tech itself is an enabler, but that's all it is, right? If you don't have the extra bits, the accountability, the, that human touch point interaction, the technology itself, it's great but it doesn't necessarily have the impact on the end result that it should have. Exactly. And that's why the, the first time I heard human in the loop was from a mutual friend of ours, Owen. And, and I think it's this concept of a co-pilot. It, it really is applicable here. I'll tell you another sort of point in time where I realized in hindsight, the idea for Coachum started to take hold. Have uh, either of you ever heard of CompStat? I have, and I cannot right now remember why. I read this as a Harvard Business School case study, I think is where I first read about it, but it was a program that was rolled out in New York City by the new police commissioner, Bill Bratton and uh, Jack Maple. And I might get the yeah. details wrong, so uh, your listeners will forgive me if I do, but they can certainly look this up. But I, what happened at the time, if I remember the story correctly, there was like close to 3,000 murders in New York City when these guys took over in the early 90s. And it's probably approaching that these days, which is sad, but there was really a terrible crime problem. And I think this guy, Jack Maple, had piloted something similar and brought it to Bill Bratton. And what they decided to roll out was a statistical analysis. They called it CompStat, computational statistics or something like that. And basically what they did at that time, they had all the boroughs, right? And they would mm -hmm. distribute their resources evenly. So they'd have an even number of patrols across all the different sectors, right? Mm -hmm. And what they decided to do is leverage data that would come in from radio calls. So if a patrolman spotted some, a broken window or a graffiti or some evidence of crime, even if it's a small leading indicator, as we might call it, right? And they would couple that with calls from 
citizens who called in to complain about things and they use some other analysis and they basically would meet, I don't know if it was weekly, I think it might've been weekly, and they would crunch all this data beforehand and they'd say, okay, there's an uptick in crime in this particular sector, in this particular neighborhood, let's flood the zone. So instead of an equal distribution of resources, now they would double up or triple up, depending on the case, maybe the number of patrols. And so some other sections that didn't have evidence of crime would have less. So, so I started to think about that. It's a smart use of resources based on data. And so what I described to you early with this client that we did as outside consultants, I realized that it's impossible for sales managers to spend the time to crunch through this data and follow the breadcrumbs all the way down to that, you know, those calls and listen and figure it all out every week for every rep so that they could focus on the behavioral issue. And I should pause and just say that when I think about data, when we think about data and metrics and so forth, we break it into sort of three buckets. You have behaviors or activities. You have these sort of leading indicators and then you have the results. We call it air activities, indicators, and results. And in a sales example, it might be something like a behavior would be a, a rep or a, a, a customer success manager asks for five referrals a week. Okay. The word ask is important because that's a behavior that's a hundred percent of their control. The indicator might be they get three referrals. Again, not necessarily in the control that they can control if they ask, but they can't control if they get it. So that indicator would be how many referrals do you get? And then the result might be how many calls, uh, you know, happen as a result of that effort, right? So what we encourage managers to do is focus on the behaviors, not the results. And so we want to track all these metrics and we want to track the correlation cause and effect so that these managers can hone in on the behaviors and manage to those behaviors that are in the control of the reps. How can managers get the time to do this? And that's where we came up with coaching because some there needs to be some mechanism to do all that grunt work for them to do all, to take all the prep work and the guesswork out of it. I know that you in the past have done this yourself, right? You have, when you've had teams in the past, you have literally done this entire process end to end. Tell us a little bit about how that looked for you. Sure. So when I took over the global sales and delivery role for Sandler, Sandler's the largest uh, sales training company in the world. And this, the organization I ran was their enterprise organization out of the headquarters. They, it was a month before the pandemic hit. <laughs> and, and so great timing. It was perfect timing. Yeah. <laughs> and so as anyone comes that can understand who's come into an organization, you first need to spend some time being a bit of a biographer and just understanding what, what's working, what isn't. And there was a lot of gaps that we spotted that I knew needed to be worked on. But all of a sudden when this pandemic hit, uh, the world changed because as an organization, we were doing live training in person in these workshops. So it was like two days or three days. And now we had to pivot overnight to a virtual instructor-led training approach over Zoom. And so there was a lot going on. And the burden I felt was that if we weren't operating at absolute peak performance, trying to sell sales training, why would anyone want to hire us, especially in this environment 
And if we weren't successful in the sales organization of a sales training company, (laughs) there's a lot of people looking for work. And so I I felt this extra sense of, of uh, responsibility uh, to become great. So it was a lot of 14, 15 hour days, but what we decided to do is to be as clever as we possibly could about what we would work on. What we would do is we, we used a spreadsheet and I give a colleague credit. He, he came up with this idea of, um, deal scorecard and, and what we would, what we did is we spent time uh, together as a sales organization and we looked at the different stages of our sales process. And we said, what do we absolutely need to glean from a prospect during that stage? So we came up with, I don't know, it may have been 25 or 30 different questions. Let's put it that way. Data points that we wanted from the client um, to feel like these deals were tighter than a camel's arse in a sandstorm. And uh, where we, we would basically have meetings and we'd say, Hey, how did you ask this question? How to go? And so we applied this scorecard every Friday. We'd meet as a team. We'd break the team into twos. We used a, a whole bunch of these uh, breakout rooms in Zoom, which worked out well. And what would happen is if let's say Lee, you were, uh, in a room with Sid, you'd pull up this spreadsheet and you'd say, okay, Sid, what deal are we talking about today? And the person would be one of, they'd want to put their top deal through the mill. And they said, okay, I'm talking about Acme. And you'd say, okay, where are you? And you would ask him the questions on the spreadsheet. And each of those questions had a point value. We used hundred points initially, and we all agreed to this as a team. We called it by the field, for the field, meaning it wasn't imposed from on high. They're the ones who set the value of each data point. Yep. So anyway, you'd ask him those questions and you'd fill it out on his behalf. And so that deal score would have a score. You sent at the end of the, the Friday meeting where everyone had done this, they would send them all to this sales ops professional we had. She was great. Her name was Katie. And she would crunch all the spreadsheets and she'd report back to me by Monday and say, Hey, this one particular line item, let's just, I'm going to give you an example. <clears throat> we all had agreed that it was important to understand or quantify the problem or get the client to quantify the problem. And there's this adage, which I think holds true, which is the bigger the problem, the more someone's willing to pay for it. That's very reasonable, right? If your problem's $100,000 and you open up a million dollar solution, it doesn't work out. Right. Yep. And, and likewise, if you don't do that step as a sales rep and you just turn up and you say, I have a solution for you, it's $100,000. There's no, if there's no context, if the person hasn't thought through how much the problem is costing them, then their first reaction might be, wow, that's expensive. But if they had spent a bunch of time with the sales rep quantifying the problem as a $5 million problem, and you come in with a hundred thousand solution, then it's a lot easier to justify in their own mind. That was something we all had agreed as a sales team. We would make sure we spent time asking about. She would come and say, okay, uh, only 15% of the deals we analyzed this week had a score there. Everything was a zero. Then I would do investigative work on Monday, listen to calls, ask questions, look at deals. And on Tuesday morning, we'd meet and we'd say, hey guys, 15% of the opportunities from that we looked at and analyzed from last week ha- are missing this. And I would ask a question 
do we think this is no longer important to get? And they would inevitably say, no, no, we, we do think it's important. And then we'd have this discussion open discussion. Well, why aren't we getting it? What's the issue? What are the roadblocks? And we'd have a, a very nice discussion where people are free to weigh in and talk about the challenges and they'd help each other. Then we'd shift it on Wednesday morning. We'd role play that specific topic. And then on Thursday, we'd role play it again, but we'd turn up the heat. So it was three. And this was, again, really helpful, I think, to galvanize everyone in a time where, as you remember, there's a lot of uncertainty in the about life in general. We're all working remotely and there's a lot of distraction. But for us, I was like, listen, we can't only control what we can control. And one of those is how well we execute on our, in our sales process. And this turned out to be an incredibly valuable use of data for me. But again, it was a lot of work spending time, like investigating. And that's again, another sort of, um, building block in terms of this idea for coaching. So when you look at what is a wonderful new world, if we choose to make it. So we had a previous guest on who we're about to publish his podcast is, hey, I really want to pay somebody to write a the opposite of the dystopian, but like a utopia, right? Because there's so many science fiction writers write dystopian futures. So let's like imagine the new and the better. And then can the same, I feel like the same thing applies here with what y'all are trying to do with Coachem is in the past, we have judged and managed reps to, as you were saying, the results versus the behaviors. And so many, this is the reason why Books like Jack Daly's exist and all these others is that what you're describing about the sales management and the sales coaching process in, in all the years I've worked with clients, I've seen very few people do, very few organizations do. And it's because the cost to do that seems to be so high. So what has been that transition? Because obviously I think Coachum's trying to fill that gap on making the cost to do this a lot lower, the cost to train, the cost to be a good sales manager a lot lower because and make that barrier to entry lower. What are some of those other trends that you see out there to make it less laborious to do that analysis you did? I, I think that there's some macro forces that are at work, which really inhibits a manager's ability to do this, even if they have all the technology at their disposal. These, these companies, just so everyone listening understands, uh, Average sales rep has between six and 10 technologies or licenses to help them do their job. So there's no shortage of data. There's no shortage. In fact, that's become a problem. Managers are overwhelmed with data and it's very difficult for them to find the signal and the noise. It takes a lot of work and know-how and it takes a lot of time. And that's the sort of challenge that they have on top of that. Is a cultural issue. So the average, according to the Bridge Group, which is a company that has consistently done survey in the, at least the SaaS space for the last uh, mm -hmm. the 10, 15 years, the average sales leader is in the role between a year and a half and two years. And it's a year and a half if it's an enterprise sales leader. So it seems mm -hmm. every day I'm congratulating a sales leader on the new role. They're like, I'm like, didn't I just didn't I relate them on LinkedIn like uh, last month type of thing? <laughs> it's a tough, it's a tough billet because mm -hmm. these people feel pressure from day one. They know that, uh, that stopwatch is running. Mm -hmm. And so there's a pressure about deals, closing deals. 
And many of them are not adept at handling that pressure. And so they turn into the soccer football coach, European football for at least uh, benefit, uh, <laughs> who, who says, guys, we need more goals, right? Come on, girls. We need to take more shots on goal. And that is not helpful. People know that they need more in the pipeline. And some of them just fudge stuff to make their pipeline look robust. And it's a running joke among all sales leaders about the fluff in the pipeline and people having happy years and yeah. that stuff, right? What really needs to happen is to use that analogy. And I apologize for your listeners. I thrive on metaphors and analogies. But if you think about that, what really needs to happen is some analysis. The analysis needs to be, all right, listen, team, it's obvious we're not scoring goals. We're getting beat every game by three or four, nothing, right? And it's clear we're not taking shots on goal. But what, what may not be clear is the data. We are, we have in the last five games, we've been in our half of the field or pitch 8% of the game. And the reason that is because 72% of the time, the other team has possession of the ball. And so that, so we have to, we've looked at the film and we've done the analysis about why the other team has possession of the ball. And we figured out that the issue is we're turning over passes. When we get passes, we're turning over the ball. And so that's what we're going to work on. We're going to focus on the fundamental of the fundamental behavior of passing and traffic. Now that's just a, that's analogous to what happens in the sales world. We need more pipeline and it's not tracing it down to the root cause issue of why that exists. Or maybe they'll say, listen, it's, it's clear. We need more calls or we need more, but the devil's in the details. You could look at a sales rep, give an example. You can look at a sales rep and say, wow, he or she is number one. They're struggling in terms of results, but they're number one in terms of activity. I can mm -hmm. clearly see the amount of calls, emails, in-mails, text messages, whatever, all that stuff. They're, they're uh, way ahead of the pack. But when you double click on that, what you might find is that of the 600 activities they did in one week, 580 of them are automated mass blast email. Mm -hmm. In that case, you need to work with that rep on, hey, you're confusing activity with achievement here. We need to mix this up. Let, let's look at what, what Lee is doing. He's our top rep. He has half the activities you do, but he's got a different mix. And that's something, by the way, that Coachum does. We, we get down to that level of, of analysis so we can help the manager. So I'm not sure if I directly answered your question, Sid, but I, I think that the, the, the problems that are plaguing these managers, it's not the technology. They could literally do everything that Coachum does. They could do this with all the technology at their disposal, all the data that they have. It's just the time and the know-how uh, to do it each week for each rep to help move the needle at that, that point of recovery. So yes, what you, your response there absolutely makes sense. I think the, maybe to state it differently, the gap that I have observed from the outsider perspective, obviously you are deep in the, the weeds on the sales pieces, but there is a lot of that data that exists, but making sense of it, having the process to make sense of it, having the process to actually then coach reps, that has been the gap. Like a, to, to your point is, yeah, sales reps typically have more, in some cases, have more tools than they actually want. And they're just being told to do a lot of activities. And I'll throw one more thing to the mix as well, because in I have several uh, other friends who are in various sales roles and organizations. And one of the common complaints they have is CRM and CRM hygiene. <laughs> How many sales reps love to input their data into CRM correctly, accurately? I'm sure some do, but I know many who definitely grumble 
at doing that. How have you observed making that a culturally better thing to do? Like, how do you give the carrot to that process rather than just the commonly used stick? Ah, you need to do your CRM every day. Right. That's an excellent question. And it is a perennial problem. So I'll tell you how I handle this. The first thing is, I don't know if you call it a stick, but it's this expectation setting. So whenever I've hired people, including very senior people that make a ton of money and have a great pedigree, et cetera, is I sit down and I, I show them the, in the offer letter stage, when I sit down about the offer letter, I say, do you see this line in the offer letter where it says your salary is X, Y, Z paid bi-weekly, blah, blah, blah. And it, I said, do you see what what's highlighted next? And, and they say, yes, it's specifically called out that this salary is to prospect and uncover opportunities and document in CRM. I say, that's what I underline that. And I say, if you tell me that's not your job, that you don't want a data entry and all this sort of stuff, if you feel like the, like that's not part of what you should be doing, no problem. I'll just take away the salary and you can work on commission only. But if that, if, if you don't want that plan, then I don't ever want to have a conversation about this because it's what a professional does. And I encourage people to think like, how many times have you been you know, in a hotel room where you got to jump on a call with a prospect to, because there's a next step in the sales process and you can't remember, you can't find your notes um, from last time. That's happened, certainly happened to me. And so that's part of it. And the other thing is then it's highlighting that this is not punitive or uh, meant to be checking that people are doing their, what they should be doing. It's much more for me about finding patterns of great behavior. I think there's an interesting uh, example of that. I think it makes sense to, to share with a particular client we stumbled across where this one manager was doing something well. I'm, I'm not sure if it makes sense to, to share that story. Yeah. So uh, real quick, we went into a company that had, gosh, probably 10 or 20 managers in this one division. And uh, they managed, uh, they led teams of 10, I believe. And these were SDRs, so sales development reps. And this... Typically, the nomenclature is you have a BDR, which is business development. They're more outbound. And an SDR, sales development rep, they're more inbound. So the leads come in, they follow up, et cetera. So I forget if this was a BDR or SDR. Suffice to say, I sat down with each of them as part of this intake process because this was a consulting gig. And I'd ask a similar set of questions. And I asked, how do you, do you track meetings set to meetings kept? And I said, yes. And I said, okay, what's your ratio? And everyone told me it was roughly 70%. And that's important because these, these folks, they set up meetings with prospects and they pull in the account executive, the quote unquote closer. So that's their job is to beat the bushes, find someone who's got some interest and then secure that next meeting. So I get to like manager number six or seven and I ask that same question. And he says to me, 95%. And I looked up from my notepad. And I said, sorry, what'd you say? He goes 95%. I said, oh no, maybe I didn't ask the question correctly. I said, like for every 10 meetings, your SDR set, how many of them are kept? Like the prospect shows up. He's like, yeah, 9.5. I'm like, okay, tell me everyone else is like between 60 and 70%. How are you so high? That's phenomenal. And he says, oh, we'll discover that this one uh, rep on my team had this unique process. And he described the whole process that rep went through. Uh, to almost guarantee that the person would show up. And so I laughed because 
what I realized is that this person, this manager had this fantastic, uh, best practice that his team was employing, but he didn't think to tell any of his peers <laughs> because it's, Hey, I, I want to be seen as the, the top dog. But what's sad in a way is that no one in the company squatted that. So someone should have recognized that anomaly, which is a good, in a good way, a good anomaly and said, Hey, what are you doing? And he would basically explain what I would explain to me. And then they would have said, okay, I want you to speak in the next meeting on next Friday. I want you up in front of everybody. I want everyone helping their SDRs and BDRs use this specific technique. So I think that there's, there's, there's a bunch of reasons why you want hygiene, but I will say, here's the thing, the good news, it's not even, you can't even use it as an excuse anymore because there's so much connectivity that a lot of this stuff just gets whisked into the CRM. Like if you have your email hooked up, you have your Zoom hooked up, all these things, they record and just, you know, put the notes in. So there's really not much effort when you really, truly analyze it. Yeah. I think the hit back on one thing that you said earlier that I would love to underline and not just because this podcast is called the data culture podcast, but because it's a real point culture, right? And when you mention, and I'm not saying that that's just the case in that client story you mentioned, you just told us, but it has been in other cases where you, there is disincentives in the culture to share a good practice, right? because of the way that the company is viewing performance overall and not adopting an innovative you know, stance, right? And so in this case, other cultures, other companies have seen like the manager, because they wanted to show up at the, stop at the top of the pile over and over, was disincentivized to share because of the way that their personal comp was written, the way that the, the company viewed their performance. And, and instead of taking innovative stances like, oh, here's what we can learn. Everybody wins. Here's how we're going to make sure everybody wins. How much do you see, do, do you see things changing in your clients and your perspective around there? Yeah. I mean, I was guessing at the motivation for not sharing it. <laughs> yeah. There was, well, it's hard. there's no, it's not like a zero sum game. If that manager hits their number and their colleagues hit their number, it's not like it has a negative effect on that person. So there's yep. really no disincentive to, to share other than someone kind of guarding, guarding the special sauce, the recipe to the special yes. sauce, simply because they want to get the out of boy, out of girl from their boss. And so culture is key on this. And when I think about data and the culture around data, I think a couple of things. One is that people need to embrace embrace data to help them, to help point them to where the problems lie. It's the comp stat, like you have limited time. That's your resource, right? Just like that mm -hmm. limited patrol officer, like you have limited time. Where is that time best spent? It's a precious resource. And wouldn't it be helpful to know exactly what to focus on when you roll up <laughs> on that uh, issue that, so I think that the tone is always set from the top. I, when I started this, read a lot about, there's, there's actually a lot of research on AI coaching people. Mm -hmm. And, and this gets into a little bit of a philosophical discussion, but I landed on the side of a lot of the research, which is people don't want to be coached by an AI. And when I say coached, I'm thinking about like the sports type of coach, right? They, 
you need a human being. Like an AI kid, AI technology cannot empathize with you. It cannot relate. It cannot draw from experience. Um, so you're never going to replace. And that's, I think when it comes to the culture, like there's some people who are a little nervous about it, but this human in a loop concept is not, we're arming you with exactly what to focus on with that individual in front of you, which by the way, I think helps a manager leverage their own experience. Like if they knew exactly what the root cause was, they could say to their rep, you know, I had the exact same, I dealt with the exact same issue when I was a rep and uh, this is what I found helpful, right? Or I just talked to so-and-so in my last one-on-one, they were struggling with the same thing and or they're, they're doing really well here and they can make those connections. And so I think that from a cultural perspective, the folks at the top need to make this a priority. They need to leverage the investments that they've made in all this technology. Stop showing or having your managers look at graphs and charts mm -hmm. because they don't, it assumes that they know how to interpret those and they assume they know what to do based on that interpretation. And that's a big part of what we've built here, which is a much more advisory approach. So leveraging all this data, using the, the causal AI to serve up that root cause analysis and then the best uh, remedy to, to solve for that issue. I'm really looking forward to seeing more in the wild on what Coach M is going to be doing over the years. Me too. Well, Colin, where are y'all headed next? What what would you like people to know about Coachum's grand vision and how y'all are looking to improve the sales manager, sales employee relationship? Sure. I would say that if we just back out of the cul-de-sac for a second of sales, yeah. what we're really mm -hmm. building, Sid, is like a coaching operating system, if I can use that. Mm -hmm. We call it a coaching execution platform, but it's really interesting because our engineers they're building this thing and they're looking at how it all is structured. And they literally have said every one of them at one point or another, gosh, I wish I had something like this in my past. My one-on-ones were a waste of time. If I had them with my manager, like there's data we could leverage from the technologies we use to pinpoint mm -hmm. how I could do better. Like it's human desire to want to know how they're doing relative to expectations. If they're halfway decent, they want to know where they can improve. And so I think that the future for us is uh, a couple of things. One is we're going to go up the, the chain. So we'll have something similar uh, for what we call the leader of leaders. So second line, third line uh, managers. And it's based on this premise that there's an employee journey. Just like you have, you hear in the, you've probably heard this a lot about the client journey, right? This is an employee journey and it mimics a client journey, right? You have, you build a pipeline of opportunities. If you're in sales, you should build a pipeline of candidates. I don't care what type of team you're managing. You never know yeah. when someone's going to say, Hey, I quit or right. Or you have to let them go. So you show you that pipeline. And so it's really about now leveraging metrics to help with mm -hmm. the people management side of the job. So we're going to move up that chain. We're going to look at. Um, how, how are they doing in terms of hiring and ramping and developing and progressing, promoting people either up or out. So that's moving up and then we'll expand beyond the, the revenue engine. So right now we're focused on sales and customer success, but we'll move to other industries. Uh, it could be recruiting. It could be other people that leverage or could benefit by leveraging data to help improve the performance and get the most out of their employees.
Do you imagine doing that with more like high touch? I could see something incredibly beneficial out of that. So for like professional services, for example, loads of data that exist, but not always in a structured format, right? Calls, how did I discuss things with the clients? It's very similar in many ways to sales is that in that we should be consultative, but so many of them, the how do you get better at teaching that consultant to stop talking, in our case, technology or whatever their profession is, whether it's tax or audit or this or that, right? Like a lot of lot to folks want to default to the professional piece and forget about the consultative and the human piece. Absolutely. And I think that as long as people are leveraging technology to communicate with prospects, whether it's professional services or SaaS or um, mm-hmm. medical device sales, whatever, as long as there's uh, a leverage. You look at uh, Zoom, uh, they just rolled out all sorts of AI. Uh, I, I can see on the bottom of my Zoom meetings now, they have the AI summary <laughs> and they have uh, Zoom IQ, I think they call it. So they're doing a lot of so, uh, and Teams. So every, all these technologies uh, let, that allow people to communicate are capturing so much, such a wealth of, of data. Mm-hmm. I think it really is, if you figure out how to maximize that to improve, it's a win. Absolutely. Colin, we appreciate your time today. Lead, is there anything else we need to close out with? No, I just think it's been a great conversation and a, a very different kind as well. Hearing from sales, we haven't had a, a sales leader on the podcast yet. So it's been very good to get a further broadening of the perspectives that we're drawing in. So thank you. Yeah, no, you're welcome. And I hope uh, I didn't put your listeners to sleep, but I've certainly enjoyed it. And I appreciate you inviting me on. No, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening and being an advocate of the data culture community. Curiosity intersected with data can inform and inspire change for the betterment of all. Let's build cultures to make this happen. If you have a topic, want to be a guest or chat, reach out to me, Sid Atkinson, or my co-host Lee Harper on LinkedIn via DM or via the Data Culture Podcast LinkedIn group. If you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, please do so anywhere you get podcasts. Be sure to join our LinkedIn group to engage with your fellow data culture change makers and visionaries. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.